There we go. We are good to go. So, Meredith, thank you for coming for thank our for our me. for our podcast slash YouTube channel. All right. Uh, for people who haven't heard our previous podcast episodes or who don't know your podcast, Finding Myself Podcast, could you give us a little rundown of who you are and what you do? Oh, gosh, that has probably changed since some of our earlier podcast episodes that we record. Um, but I am Meredith Siget. I I almost want to say the former host of the Finding Myself podcast. I did do my final episode. I know that but, was so sad. It's over. But but it's it's not. I said on my final episode back in June that I was done. But the being on the mic, I love so much. So I knew I it wasn't out of my system. And I did just drop an episode uh, this month in September. Uh, so I think I'm going to just when the when I moved to put an episode out, I think I'm going to put an episode out. I uh, put an episode out about the cycle of misery Ooh. due to something that I had listened to. And Micah, you understand this. I'm not promoting it. I'm not doing anything about it. And the episode is doing amazing. Um, and so I'm, I'm happy about that. I'm doing topics that resonate with people and they're, they're looking for. I am a personal development junkie. I also have a background in mental health. I'm a mental health professional. I'm a school counselor. Uh, so I really personally love to do what I do and look into development and live the life I want to live. And I also help other people do that too. I do some motivational speaking and life coaching. Uh, So I really just like working with people on the things that I like to work with myself on. Love it. Love it. You've always been a practice what you preach kind of person. You, and, and I love that when, when the podcast or, you know, your life coaching business or whatever is not resonating with you in that moment. Like, you're just like, you know what, I'm going to take a step back from it. I'm not going to engage in it because I'm not going to be able to give my full authentic self to this, to this adventure, you know, so I'm just going to like take a step back and just let it be what it is. So I, I, I've always admired that about you, that you, because you are a practice, what you preach person, if it's not resonating with you, you're not going to burn yourself out trying to push yourself to, to, to feed the cycle, right. To, to feed into the content creator, yes. you know, cause I fall, I know at one point in time, I have fallen into that cycle of like, I have to put a video out. I have to put a podcast episode out and felt like I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing because this is something that, you know, resonates with both of us. And that means a lot to us that if I wasn't taking care of it, I felt like, okay, like I'm failing, I'm not succeeding. And then I was not showing up as the best version of myself or as my complete authentic self, because I was forcing myself to put content out. So I've always admired that about you. And you actually hit some things there um, that we want to cover today and why we even asked you to come today is because you have such a diverse background with helping others, the life coaching, you know, your professional life in terms of being a mental health counselor, a student, a a guidance counselor. Um, There's a lot of gems that I think you're going to be able to drop in this conversation and just shed a lot of light on this, especially with what has happened. And we talked about this even, you know, privately with what happened with our brother, Jeffrey. Um, There's a lot of questions that we have that I think maybe other people will be able to get some value out of some of the things that you'll be able to like, hopefully discuss with us today. Yeah. Well, if I can just interject, just based on something that you said, 
hopefully uh, speaks to what we're speaking about today, but you described me as a guidance counselor. Just to let you know, that term is actually an outdated term. Really? Mm-hmm. Guidance counselors were um, people of the 70s that didn't have a mental health background. They weren't trained in mental health. But today's counselors are school counselors. We are mental health professionals and our location is school. Oh, okay. See, that's so that goes perfectly into the first question that I actually wanted to ask you is what is the difference between therapy and counseling? Well, the, those terms are very much intermixed. And I know that's why you're asking the question mm -hmm. is that they are used so much as the same thing. Um, I think therapy, in a way, you've got physical therapists, you've got speech therapists. So therapy is a very general term where you are kind of departing some exercises, some wisdom, some education in an area. So therapy is kind of more of this very big general term. Okay. Counseling is also a general term because if you think about it, a lawyer is a counselor. Mm. So again, it's a person who is doing more of a, I want to say more talk. I think with counseling, you think more of a, a talk uh, perspective platform um, where therapy, you might have your cognitive behavioral therapy. Gotcha. Gotcha. So some of more the, like more of like a focused area of expertise, whether that's like you said, cognitive behavioral therapy. I know there's dialectical behavioral yeah. therapy. There's different modalities in therapy, whereas the counseling is a little bit more broader, it sounds like. So um, counseling, we have our counseling theories. Okay. Um, it, and so we do have our theorists that we uh, learn about, that we subscribe to, and our modalities that uh, each one of us kind of picks as where our strengths are. So it's very similar. Uh, it's just a different vein. And you, I know you and I have talked about this before in a, a previous podcast episode that uh, therapists, uh, social workers, um, you know, our counselors, our psychologists, mm -hmm. we all do very similar things, but we have some different theories to pull from and we have some different philosophies. You've got your medical model, uh, which is going to fall in with, you know, taking the medicines and pushing that. You're going to have your talk therapy, which is using those modalities where we're just going to speak. Um, but then you're going to have some of those uh, therapist theories like play therapy, mm -hmm. a different modality for someone who doesn't have the verbal skills uh, to, or cognitive skills to really dive into those feelings. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I, I guess it, it just comes down to some of the little nitty gritties of how we go about, yep, about helping people. <clears throat> awesome. And then so the second question to kind of follow up on that is what kind of training or is there any kind of training that you would go through to like identify um or like kind of raise the alarm bells of like students that you need to provide counseling services to, or are they just like kind of coming to you and saying, Hey, I need help. Or is this something that you as uh, the counselor and going through training are like, Ooh, like there's a red flag or there's a flag here. Let me reach out to this kid and see, see if they need some help. Uh, so there, all of what you said is true. Okay. I, I do have students who walk through my door and tell me that they're feeling very anxious 
and we okay. start to to work through that. And of course, those are students who are in who are in touch with how they're feeling. They're in touch with getting help and asking for help. And they're also aware, they've got that self-awareness to be able to verbalize what might be going on with them. But then, of course, we have those students whose behaviors are mm -hmm. speaking for them. And there are those behaviors that are sending up those red flags that something else is going on and we need to kind of look into it. Uh, throughout my education, I have a master's in education with school counseling. That's how we do it in Pennsylvania. Uh, I you know, learned some of those basics on the behaviors and what they may be speaking to us about. And then as a counselor, I continue to get education on different things. Uh, it's required by the state. It's also just good practice. So there's some of this that I seek out myself for more information. Also, I have a lot of resources that I can access on a regular basis. Uh, I talk to individuals that are in our substance use area, um, typically on a weekly or biweekly time. I have mental health liaisons that are talking to us on a weekly basis, uh, behavior specialists that we have in the schools that we consult with. So there are a lot of people that are part of my team that I can learn from and, and grow from and be able to apply in different areas. Anxiety has been a really big uh, topic for us since the pandemic. Mm. The anxiety rates have completely increased. And as we all know, anxiety is a natural response. Uh, but when it gets in the way of us functioning, that's where our problems are. And the anxiety getting in the way since the pandemic has increased greatly. Mm -hmm. So I kind of want to back up just a little bit here because I we just kind of jumped right in, which I love when we do. But then I, I want to back up a little bit for the audience and for others that are listening to this on the podcast or over on the YouTube channel watching our, our, our conversation. Just real quick of who I am. I'm Micah because <laughs> we just kind of just skirted right past that. Uh, I'm Micah. And um, we're, we're having these conversations because um, recently our and this is also Stephanie, my sister. <laughs> Recently, uh, our our brother Jeffrey uh, was in a domestic violence situation. There was a lot of emotional, um, mental, and physical abuse that he endured over the course of um, about a year and ultimately died by suicide in June uh, of this year, 2023. And so I already kind of had a platform on YouTube and the podcast discussing mental health and and as well as just talking specifically to men, specific, even more specifically of that transgender men and youth. And so it was really important for myself and for Stephanie to have this conversation here with Meredith today because of all of your expertise and how this not only can, how we can kind of get those tools of how we may be able to help somebody else who is struggling with mental health or domestic violence situation. And we're going to, and we, I have a lot of questions for you. Trust me. We'll get, I know we'll get into it. Um, but you know, so we can kind of be more aware of these and just talk about the, the, the nuance, right? Like so many layers that feed into mental health and why ultimately, um, why ultimately people wind up going this route and taking their own life. And what are some things that we can do as a community of human beings. I, I don't want to like even put it in a, in a box and say, just like, 
as transgender men or as men or just men, or even though we are talking more specifically about masculine individuals, um, I just want to see how we can come together as human beings with this knowledge that you're going to be able to hopefully impart with us um, how we can support men, how we can support the young boys, the youth in general who are coming up in this day and age. And we don't have this information. We don't have these tools and skills, especially when we even break it down as people of color, which we'll also talk about later. And, and you know, when we start bringing income as a factor into this, um, what are the, those tools that we can do? So uh, go ahead. And Mike, I, you know, I appreciate you and Stephanie wanting to be a part of this conversation and having these conversations because you're, you're a family member, you're a community member, you're seeing that there's an issue and wanting to have this discussion. And it's mm -hmm. brave of both of you to put this out there. Um, so I really appreciate and applaud you for doing that. You know, I do want to share, this isn't something that I, I typically broadcast. I'm thinking in my head if I have really brought it up on, on my podcast. Uh, but I was suicidal from the age of 13 to about 21 mm. um, and received, you know, mental health services, um, was on medications um, for that. And this was back in the 90s. Um, I think the our times have changed. Mm -hmm. I, I, tr I truly hope that times have changed uh, because my journey is not what I would want as an adult. Mm -hmm. And I'm in a position, I didn't have a school counselor. I mm -hmm. had a guidance counselor. So they weren't looking for those red flags, as you called it. They mm -hmm. weren't trained to look for those red flags. Teachers were not trained to look for those red flags as we are now. Mm -hmm. It is training that we are required to go through from the state of Pennsylvania uh, on a regular basis, not just once, but on a regular basis, a rotating basis, we need to do these trainings. And it makes a difference. If we can find those red flags and provide the support, wow. We might be able to prevent a lot of suicides, a lot of, or, <clears throat> or, or hospitalizations. Um, I think that a lot of times we wait to the last minute or it's too late, essentially. Like in, we were just having a, we just had an interview this morning, um, for an, another podcast and we were discussing Jeffrey's story and the things that he went through. And, and that's something that came up a lot that we were discussing is that, you know, these young children, right? The children are our future in, in all seriousness, right? These young boys become teenagers, then become young men, you know, and adults. And it's, if we can get to not even just boys, but just anyone, you know, the, the, let's take gender out of it. But if we can get to these kids, before it becomes an issue, if that makes sense. You get what I'm saying? Like, oh, yes. how much could, how much better would the world be? How much better would these individuals who are growing up, like you said, being in, you know, you, the generation also plays a part in this, right? Like you didn't have this, these types of certain services back in the nineties. And I remember even being early two thousands, me growing up. I mean, even though I'm a nineties baby, but I grew up mm -hmm. more in the early two thousands. Um, we weren't having these conversations about mental health and we're now having these conversations about mental health, but to add that other layer, we're not talking about domestic violence. We're not really talking and, and we're talking about it, but for women, okay. we're not, we're not addressing that this can also happen to, to boys, this can happen to men, just like, you know, sexual assaults, molestation, these things happen to boys and 
young men as well. And so there's a whole, we're doing a disservice. You know what I mean? And, and, and I'm hoping that through these conversations, we can start waking up even my generation, millennials, right? Because we were raised by your generation. Yes. Which are the, the gen, generation X. We were raised by them and they were raised by, by the, the baby boomers. I know that people use that now as a joke, but that's, that's what they're called boomers. So this is a generational thing as well. When we look back on, okay, but who raised us and who raised them and who raised them. And this is what people mean when they talk about breaking generational curses is, is, is identifying where we went wrong in the generation before and how do we improve it for the next generation coming after us. With me working with young people and changing some of that. You know, some of the stereotypical, you know, boys aren't supposed to cry. Mm -hmm. Boys aren't supposed to talk about their feelings. You're just supposed to suck it up and move on. And Mm -hmm. I'm trying to change that and say, hey, we we have feelings. We can't deny them. We need to honor the feelings that we're having. And we need to work through them to get to a better place. I don't want, you know, bad coping skills, essentially. Substance Mm -hmm. use, uh, self-harm. Those are coping skills, yes, but we can find better coping skills so that everyone is living their best life. And and unfortunately, we're not always the best role models. And it's changing. It's consciously changing and allowing our men to have feelings, Mm -hmm. you know, to to be soft, to cry, to to say, hey, I don't like how this is and I want to change it instead of. I'm just going to suck it up, keep my head down and and move forward. Because you can only do that for so long. Yep. You can only do that for so long. Something, it comes to a point where something has to give or something's going to break in a sense, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so to kind of go into that a little bit more, have you seen that our parents working with you to provide these mental health services to a student? Are they like getting, are they engaging with you on, okay, how do we help our child deal with a situation or or is this something where are you finding that like you have to pull teeth sometimes to get to get that help or to get the you know the support bringing the family support into it like how, how have you been experiencing that everything that you said there's going to be that full spectrum of responses one you have to know that there's possibility of mental health concerns in the parents mm. that those weren't addressed So they are dealing with their own mental health, which makes it difficult to deal with the mental health of their child. Uh, That is something that we do deal with on a pretty regular basis. Additionally, I'm I'm not going to hide the fact that for a child to come to a parent and say, I want to kill myself or I'm really upset and unable to handle this right now, parents don't necessarily have the tools to deal with it. And it's hard. I've had situations where the the child reports and the parent confirms when the child went to them and say, I feel like I want to kill myself. The parent leaves the room. Mm. And it because the parent didn't feel they knew what to say in the moment and they didn't want to say the wrong thing. So they got up and left. I appreciate that parent. I mean, that parent came to me and said, what can I do? I know that wasn't right. What Mm. can I do? So they were seeking how best to to support. But you still have the parents who 
don't want to recognize. They think it's just attention-seeking behavior. Um, and so hey, let's let's touch that real quick because oh, that always hits a nerve. It, who cares? Even if it is attention-seeking behavior, they need attention. That's the point. That's you know, we were just having a conversation. Like I said, we were just doing this podcast um, before, and and we talked. We kind of touched on that right there. Is that usually when somebody is at the point where they want to harm themselves or take their life, and if they're vocalizing it. They are, they're looking for help. It's a cry for help. It is an attention seeking behavior. Sometimes people need that reassurance, especially I, I can imagine. I, I know I was that kid at some point in my life telling my mother or my sister, I want to hurt myself. And sometimes you need that reassurance from your parent or your friend or your partner or your sibling, whoever it is that your support system is that you care and love about or that you love that, hey, I'm, I'm struggling right now and I just need to know that you care about me or that I shouldn't do this. Sometimes that that is the one thing that will stop someone from taking the next step and trying to end their life. So that always kind of frustrates me when you have people I'm not saying this is what you're doing, but I, I've, I've heard that so many times, especially as a person of color, especially from the from an older generation of people who who think this way of everybody has a mental illness now. And really, you just need to beat your kid's ass and then they'll stop that shit. You know, no, you're teaching your kid to hide how they feel from you and to fear you. Right. Or you have that uh, again. Oh, well, they're just they just want attention. What's wrong with them wanting attention, right? It's being dismissive. And what's wrong with your yeah. child wanting attention or needing attention? You know what I mean? So that, that always strikes a nerve with me. It's like, that's attention seeking. It is attention seeking. It's a red flag and you should definitely pay attention. What is the, <laughs> what are we talking yeah. about here? Are we on the same planet? Then as soon as too late and then it happens, then it's like, oh, I wish I could have did something about it. You had the chance to do something about it and you were dismissive about it. And you were just like, oh, well, get over it or stop feeling like that or you know, not taking action to avoid that situation itself. Absolutely. And I've, I've been involved with individuals who recognize those words get attention. And so they do use them. They don't really want to kill themselves. They don't want to hurt themselves, but they recognize the attention it gets. But there is something else going on that they need attention for. Mm-hmm. So, yes. You still got to figure out what it is. Yes. 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 I, I, I get the, they're not going to kill themselves. Okay. I, I get but what that. if they do? But, but something's happening that they need to go to that level. Mm-hmm. For someone to stop and give them attention. So let's look at that. Let's look at the language that they're using. And maybe we need to teach them. Okay, what you're really telling me is that you are so frustrated right now. You need to take a break. And you need someone else to assist you in taking that break. Maybe you are so sad right now. That you need someone with you to sit with you in that sadness. Mm-hmm. They might not have that language, but they know if I say that you're going to look me in the eye and respond to me, then we, ju- we just need to spend more time with them to figure out what's really going on and assist in what really is going on so that they have better language to tell us instead of using that. Absolutely. I, I love the way you put that because it's true. A lot of us, even as adults, and I think that's what also makes 
you unique in in regards to coaching or you know when you deal with people because you have also this background with dealing with ch- uh, children and teenagers and things like that the reality is there's a kid in all of us yeah. and a lot of times our trauma is coming from the kid in us mm-hmm. and so sometimes when we're feeling these big feelings we don't have the language to to express how we're feeling you know and so it's it's i think it's always important when we're having these conversations with someone who is just needs someone to sit in that that we recognize okay this person needs someone to sit to sit with me in this and okay how can i support this person through this time or how can i teach this person the language that they need so that we can be on the same page and we can understand each other whatever the case may be um so that's that's good stuff because it, it is interesting i mean Micah, you know my uh, last couple years in my personal experience, something I've talked about on my podcast that I've gone through a really heavy medical journey. Mm-hmm. And I, at one point, was in a place where I call it hell. I was in hell every single day. And I was hopeless. You you know that. You helped mm-hmm. me through that time. Um, and I, I mean, I was working with a therapist myself. And I, I know being a counselor myself, my therapist kept coming back to where was I on my safety? Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, you know, being in my forties, I was able to know the difference between being hopeless and wanting to kill myself. Mm-hmm. I knew that I had to hang in there. I knew where my resources were, such as my therapist. I knew to reach out to people like you, my support system. So it wasn't in a vein of my safety. <clears throat> but 13-year-old me, I I wasn't there. I didn't have that maturity or that understanding that ho- being hopeless didn't result in, well, what's the point in living? And see, and even, even if we take age is definitely a factor to a certain extent, right? Because we, we know science says our, you know, that, that frontal lobe, that part of your brain that controls your emotions is not fully developed until you're 25. And so you can't see the longevity of your decisions, right? We, we can't, we can't conceptualize that completely just yet. But even, even when we talk about adults, right, who may not have that emotional intelligence, Right. right, or who have not done you know, had any type of mental health services, whether that's therapy, whatever, right? Like, or have even done introspection, reflection, anything like that, and and, and gone through these processes, still may not have that, still may have the emotional maturity of someone who's 13 and 14 years old. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of brings it back to when we're in these feelings sometimes, and we don't know how to properly cope with them, or have the tools to cope with them. It may feel like we don't even know the difference anymore between being hopeless and wanting to end my life or the difference. We don't, you know, sometimes it's hard to see the forest through the trees. So I Mm -hmm. feel like this is, again, why these conversations are so important. It's being able to give those tools or at least some tips on, hey, this is how you can deal with these situations or recognizing the difference. I mean, I know full grown adults, you know, I've had conversations with grown men who could not identify that they were in an emotionally abusive relationship, which we, which I, I want to touch on that in a, in a little bit here, but who could not identify it because of all these factors, right? Like not uh, one, not believing that men can even be the victims of these things, right? Um, uh, the stigma of what it means to be a victim of these things as a man uh, and not having the language to 
express what is going on and what what you're feeling in those moments. And then that kind of, you know, in my opinion, that's where it comes to, okay, well, I'm going to end my life. And, you know, men are at a higher rate of, of attempting suicide and, and, and succeeding suicide, you know? So obviously that we're missing something here and like we're missing the mark somewhere here. And I go back to, I think that this is why I think the work you do is so important and why like school counselors and us as the adults in the situation, and even for our adult friends, having these skills in our tool bag to say, okay, I can recognize, maybe this person can't recognize it because they're in the moment right now, but maybe there's something I can say that might be able to alter how this person feels or the decisions that they'll make. I, I mean, I hope this conversation is normalizing the uh, acceptance of help, the reaching out for help, the being the friend instead of going, oh, that's I'm not getting into their personal business. I'm not getting into this. Um, normalizing that we're, we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. There is no shame in saying, hey, Micah, I'm having a really tough day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm going to be honest, it's really tough. And being being OK with that. Um, finding those resources, normalizing those resources, normalizing talking like this about our feelings. Mm-hmm. Because I I agree with you, if you don't mind us just jumping into those relationships. Yes. You know, the, the negative cycles of relationships. I, I've worked a little bit in this area and some things are absolutely baffling to me but they're the reality. Uh, when we are in a relationship, there's a reason why we were drawn to that person. And you know, they talk about love being blind. Mm-hmm. You love this person and you start forming this relationship with them, not in a conscious sense, in a, an emotional sense, um, in an unconscious sense. You normalize things in your relationship and you just... You don't think about it. It just happens. And patterns start to form, whether they are intentional or unintentional. And you just think this is how it is in relationships. If you don't have anything to compare it to, if you Mm -hmm. are young or just not skilled in relationships or that type of relationship, maybe even this is the most serious relationship you've had. So this is just what happens in serious relationships. And it's got a hold on you, regardless of what other people say or think. You're just like, well, that's their relationship. That's not my relationship. They don't know me and my significant other. You you start to rationalize what's happening. And you are so close to it that you can't see what's going on. Um, and that, that I think is the tough part is, you know, try to, try to convince someone that, gosh, this is, this is really setting up a, a negative pattern. Um, this, you know, this could go in a direction that is just not safe for anyone, but how do you tell them that? That's, that's, that was the question I was going to ask you as well. It's like in your experiencing what this is kind of going to be a two part question here. The first part of that question is, did you learn about certain um, 
mental illnesses, like through the DSM? Like, did you have to go through that training similarly to like a licensed clinical social clinical social worker and kind of like saying, okay, this person has this almost like being able to diagnose um, a mental illness. That's the first part of that question. And the second part of that question is if you did have to learn those things, do you feel like that has helped you in just like out in the world, like real life situations where maybe having a friend or dealing with someone and seeing them go into, into an abusive relationship and saying, mm, I know because of my training or this, uh, this di- these types of diagnoses and what this, what mental illness essentially looks like that this p- person might be dealing with an emotionally abusive relationship because that person may have a, a mental illness or do you kind of get yeah. what I'm trying to ask there? Okay. So as a school counselor, um, I did take, uh, I took one class specifically with, with, which it was with the DSM and we had to do case studies. We poured everything into it. And uh, also school counselors were in with community counselors, uh, with addiction counselors. We were all together doing this class. So it wasn't special for school social or school uh, counselors. But I am not, I just need to clearly state as a school counselor, I am not, I do not have the credentials to diagnose anyone. Okay. So while I may say this follows the the DSM, I can't diagnose. Okay. Okay. Um, but it also helps me that when someone does have that diagnosis, I understand what that is. Okay. I understand what may come before it and the type of treatments that are used for it. So I, I definitely am skilled in that way. Um, it does help having that knowledge at times, seeing like this is following, like for me, RAD, um, re- uh, reactive attachment disorder um, for kids. You know, we see some of that. To see depression, bipolar, some of those, you know, very common diagnoses yeah, you know, I can understand uh, some of that. Um, but I, I think it's also, you know, it, it's hard sometimes too. As a school counselor, these kids are with me every single day. Mm. Um, we get to know the good and the bad. And uh, even with that, you know, we get close with these kids, which is a very much a positive. But so things can get by me too, because, you know, I, I, I build a relationship with them and uh, maybe you always want to see the good. Mm. Yeah. But I guess to kind of go in a different vein, I will let you know, uh, negative relationships, we start seeing the patterns form in the middle school. We start seeing the um, obsessiveness, the controllingness. And some of those red flags with negative relationship patterns are are formed very early. And we do see a lot of mimicking of parents or Mm. older people in their life. I was going to ask, actually, that was going to be my follow up. Do you think that from what you've seen, because and the reason why I kind of asked the question the way I did with the whole mental illness is because I do believe that although it's great that we're having a lot of conversations around mental health and mental illness, I do believe that sometimes it can be almost an excuse. And I want to I be careful in the words that I choose, but I can't think of a different word. Maybe a justification is a better word. Okay. Mental illness can sometimes become the justification of behavior of, well, I am a toxic individual because I'm depressed. 
I am a toxic individual because I have bipolar disorder. I am having these negative behaviors in my relationship or I'm controlling because I'm anxious about this. And so therefore that's why I act the way that I act. And so that's kind of why I asked, do you think that it's mental illness that really is at the forefront of these toxic relationships or is it a result of being uneducated, right? And what I mean by uneducated is uneducated in what an emotionally abusive relationship even looks like, right? Um, or is it mimicking? Because I know we were just having this conversation earlier. Growing up, you know, I know I know that my my mother and my father, like, they loved each other. But there was points in times looking back now as a, a fully formed adult and understanding the world and relationships and things differently, I can see there were a lot of toxic behaviors as well. I mean, my mom would scream at my dad and, oh, you fat fuck. And, you know, you're, you know, you're going to have a heart attack and die I'm, or throw plates at him, you know, or, 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 you know, he'd be like, oh, you stupid bitch, you know, you, you're, you're fucking grizzly bear, you know. And we can, we, we kind of chuckle about this now, right? Because we're this, that's a coping mechanism, right? It's an yeah. uncomfortable thing to, to, to say about your parents, right? But looking back on it, I can notice in myself when I met my wife before we were married and were in our relationship as a 16 and se or 17 years old, how I mimicked a lot of those behaviors, right? Of like, well, this is normal to talk to each other this way, you know, or it's normal to put, you know, to put your partner down when you're mad at them and that's okay because you're angry at them. You know what I mean? So that's where I kind of was asking that, that, that question. Well, there's a, there's a lot in what you say. One, the adults that we are around as a child form our idea or definition of what something is. Mm -hmm. So that the men that we are around form the idea of what a man should be. Now, it really doesn't include a, the huge definition of what a man should be. It's very mm -hmm. limited. And so those individuals are forming this big definition and they don't realize that, you know, mm -hmm. our moms are, or the females that are around us are forming what a female should be and how they should act. Then they come together and that's our example of what a marriage should be, a, a dating relationship. Well, you know, I saw my cousin go through, you know, dating and that's what you're supposed to do on a date. We start to get those ideas and until we start... Um, <laughs> broadening our definition of things we we really take that to heart and make a decision about it um and that's just how it should be and then uh, we never question it because i think the ego and the it, it's hard to to question that belief system yeah yeah uh and and it, it's also questioning those important people in our life mm-hmm that's hard. Mm -hmm. Those are important people to us. Um, but I, I also want to kind of bring it back to a lot of relationships have to do with being secure or insecure. Mm. If we had an insecure connection with the people around us or the people who were supposed to love us, then the trust with a new partner or someone else is already, you know, starting to form on shaky foundation. And so we do things, maybe we try to control to feel more secure with that relationship. 
Or maybe if we're so insecure, I'm not going to put all my eggs in your basket. I'm going to make sure that I am reaching out to as many people as possible because I don't really want to make it serious with you because I don't feel that that is going to be what I want or what be very successful or live my best life that way. Mm-hmm. It's when we really look into our own feelings and where is this coming from? Why am I choosing to be this crazy person and want to control you? It's because I'm not feeling the best with connecting. How do I know you're really going to stay with me? How do I know that you're being honest with me, faithful with me? Um, so I've got to do whatever I can so that that happens the way I want it to happen. Mm. And I think that to, to kind of expand on that a little bit, <laughs> I think that ultimately, I think the hard reality that most people can accept is that you don't know. Yeah. You don't know. You never truly, you know, 100%. I was actually having a conversation with somebody about this not that long ago. I said, you'll never know anyone 100%. Well, if they tell me everything, they're never going to tell you everything because you're not going to know every single thought that comes in in and out of a person's head. So do you really know them? Because you're never going to know everything they're thinking about. You're only going to know what they tell you and you're only going to know what they show you. So in reality, you know, I've had situations with friends and, you know, family members that I knew for many, many years do the exact opposite of what I believed about them. Because for many, many years, they showed me one thing and did one thing that that built that trust and allowed me to say, I know this person. I trust this person. They've never done it to me before in the past. So they're not going to do it. Why would they do something like that now? I'm not going to believe, you know, I'm not going to worry about it and be air quotes secure in the relationship and trustful in the relationship. And then they get completely blindsided and be like, well, where did this come from? Why'd yeah. you do that? Like, that's completely out of your character. Uh-huh. You know, I air quote that out of your character. But in reality, it's like people just do things, you know, like it just you can you can you can never be 100 percent sure about anything. Even science won't say they're 100 percent sure about anything. They'll say I'm ninety nine point nine 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 percent sure. But there's always that chance that I could be wrong of error or I'm wrong. And and I think that I'm going to use a word that's a little crazy in this context, but it's having faith. Because faith isn't scientifically based Mm -hmm. and it's a way of like, I'm going to choose this partner and I'm going to have faith that things are going to work out well. I cannot control this person. I recognize that something could stray off to the left, the right, Uh, but I'm just going to live my life and move forward with this faith. Mm-hmm. And 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 I, and I and even to go a step further on that, I would say just enjoying like enjoy the time that you have with that person. Yeah. You know, like I say that all the time to my wife. I'm like, look, I will. I I love you. I love our relationship. I, I respect you. All of those things. And, you know, I accept the amount of time that I have with you. If it came down to that, you want to leave or you want to. That's fine, because I can enjoy what we have now. You know what I mean? Yeah. But to bring it back, there's security in that. If mm. I'm insecure, I can't have faith. Mm. You're you're secure in your situation, who you are, what you're looking for out of life. But if you were insecure in that, faith isn't going to be there. Mm. So, what would you say? You know, I think I think this is a uh, some a question I want to get to because. With in regards to like Jeffrey, 
I feel that there were definitely some red flags. There were a lot of red flags um, and things that we noticed were like, mm, this isn't a healthy relationship. Right. And we never, I, I, and maybe there is not a answer to this question because I was going to say, well, how do you know it's getting like to a point where like this, we really need to like get this person out of this situation. Um, and I think I answered my own question as I was asking that question, because I'm like, well, I mean, our brother didn't really tell us everything, right. That was, that was going on. But I guess to rephrase what I was going to ask, what are some signs you, you would say, or things that you say would say is a sign that like, Hmm, this might be a emotionally abusive relationship, or this might be a, a toxic relationship. And then to follow up with that question, how do you how do you support the person who is being abused and how do you help them kind of see that or get out of that situation? So I, I think it's it's helping the person reflect on what's going on. Um, not in a way that's going to put them on the defense of like, hey, oh my gosh, she's crazy. But how is this working for you? What are you really looking for in a partner? And does this person fit that? Um, you know, there are, there are ways that we do this with kids that is kind of non-threatening. Just being serious, like, so how's that working for you? And it throws them off a little bit. And then they're like, I guess it really isn't. <laughs> You're right. It really isn't. Okay. What's not working for you? Well, I don't like when. And then it starts going to, okay, so how do you think things could be different? And just start like walking through that process. And of course, I'm hearing myself and I'm like, well, it's my counseling background. Asking those questions, you kind of already know the answers to, but you want to help them bring the answers out and put them in a way that makes sense. Mm. So it's processing through some of that. Um. You know, it just being being reflective of, gosh, it sounds like you guys are having a tough time right now. What would make it better? What's the toughest part of it? And just drawing some of that information out for the person to process through what's going on. Um, you know, is this the kind of partner you always dreamed of? What do you see like when you guys have kids? How do you think these personality characteristics are going to come out? Is that going to be positive or negative? Um, you know, just trying to put some scenarios together where you're applying these relationship characteristics and how is that really going to work? I'm not sure if that's going to work, but it's non-judgmental. You know, it might be an opportunity, you know, when you're just like going for coffee or going to the bar, grabbing a beer, um, when it's not a heavy time, not when it's they're in fights or anything like that. So it's not one of those, I told you so kind of moments, mm -hmm. but well, let's just talk. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's where sometimes I think that's a difficult thing, right? Because I'm very much, you know, we've had our conversations uh, and, and, and I'm sure if you, if anyone out there has watched more than just this video on YouTube, I very much try to, have that same line of thinking. Like I try to, I don't have your answers. You know, your gut's telling you, you know, I don't have the answer for you. I can try to help guide you to your own answer. 
mm-hmm. or this is what I did that worked for me. And you can see if that fits or doesn't fit. I think the difficult part about that, and this is why everybody always says, why aren't you a therapist? This is why right here, I'm going to tell you why, because it gets to a point where someone is in the danger zone and that's just, there, there's no time to, to, to try to get you to think about what's happening or they're in that they're, they're so in it, right? It's so like they, they've, they've been in this cycle for so long. It's so normal to them. It's so in a sense comfortable, mm-hmm. right? Because it's what they know. And instead of like, I, I, I'm thinking about this, even with a, another person that I know where I've done this exact thing recently, how's that working for you? Or is this what you really thought your relationship would be like? You know, and the person is basically like, well, if I just do more or if I just do, if I can just change this part about me or if I can just change this, then this person won't be so angry all the time. And and it becomes really self-deprecating. And it's like in those instances, I can't be the one to sit here and tell you that I don't have the answer. I'm going to tell you the answer is leave this bitch alone. That's the answer. Get the fuck out of that situation. That's the answer. And you know that's the answer. Deep down somewhere, you know that it's not healthy and it's not okay and it's not right. But it's not, but they're just not ready to... The unfortunate part about it, I guess, with humans is like, if you're not ready to accept that, no matter how much you converse about it or lead the person to the answer they already have, that they already know, if they don't want to do the thing, they're not going to do it. I guess it like I have been in situations where I have kind of broken a little bit of that counselor code and I'm pleading with someone to to do something different or to see something differently. At times I say, you know, well, I'm going to hold out the hope until you can. I'm going to care about you until you can care about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, I'm. I'm not leaving you alone. I, I'm going to continue believing in you until you believe in yourself. And for them knowing that you care that much, that that's how it's going to be. You're not going to turn your back on them because they have chosen to do something. But I'm going to hold out the belief that things will be different and, and you will see that. Unfortunately... We don't have control over other people mm-hmm. and they're going to make those choices that maybe we don't want for them, but we're, we, we can't strong arm anyone. Just like you said, if they're not ready for this, we can show them another way and then hope that they see it as a school counselor. I, I think as long as they hit 35 and they're like, Oh, that's what Mrs. Siggett was talking about. I'm okay. <laughs> I don't expect to see the fruits of my labor. I don't. Um, but I hope that at some point the the individual will kind of know where I was coming from at least. Because of your background, I think, I would think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would think because of your background, it can be a lot easier sometimes for you to spot emotionally abusive or toxic or just people who are struggling with mental health, it might be a little bit more easier for you since you've been in the field for a long time. You've dealt with many people, I'm sure, in crisis situations and otherwise just struggling. Um, 
so what tips would you be able to give someone to say, mm, watch out for your loved one? This, this, here are some signs. Uh, or do you feel like it's just a feeling like, like what, a, what can we look out for to see, Hey, this person might be in an abusive relationship or, an, or a toxic relationship at, at minimum. Uh, to be very honest with you, I think we need to be humans and be aware and be connected. Mm. Uh, when I say hello to people, when I say good morning, no matter who it is, when I say have a good day after having an interaction with a cashier, I look them in the eyes. Mm. When we actually look at people, we're listening to not only what they say, how they say it, and the body language that comes along with it. Mm. So it's I'm leaving myself open to be more aware of what's going on. I've had situations where I've caught people that I don't know and our interaction, they're just something didn't seem right. And I've been able to say, are you okay? Is everything okay? And then they were like, oh my gosh, I've had the horrible day. And blah, blah, blah. you know, and the door opened and they felt someone saw them and they had their opportunity to be heard and seen. Mm. So you feel like it's more of just asking, just being intentional and asking, are you really okay? Or are you okay? Because I feel like we've conditioned our society to say it's the greeting. It's just a greeting. When I go to, I'm going to be honest, I've been times where I've gone to the gas station and I am conditioned to say, hey, how you doing? Hey, how's your day? And in reality, I don't give a shit about how your day was. I'm just, this is the polite thing to do, to ask you how your day, I'm just being honest. And I know there's plenty of people out there who feel the same way. Like, you know, as hum sometimes like as humans, we forget that there's a world so much bigger than ourselves going on. Right. And so there's times where it's just, we're just conditioned to be like, Hey, how you doing? And so I know that person who's responding, they're conditioned to say, I'm doing okay. How about you? I'm fine. How about you? So, I'm not, I'm so what changes that, that, that interaction? I'm not conditioned like you. I oh, understand. I'm oh, I'm definitely conditioned. <laughs> I understand what you're saying because yeah. yes, you are not alone. There are many people who do the polite answer and that's wrong. If you don't, if you don't want to know how I'm doing, don't ask me, just say hello. Mm -hmm. Because me, I'm conditioned where I'm going to tell you how I'm doing. Yeah. You taught me that actually. Yeah. I'm just being real. Cause I remember I used to tell you that all the time. Remember we'd, we, yeah, you would. I work there and it's like, how are you doing your, your common response? Oh, okay. How are you? Like me yeah. every day. I'm just like, I'm taking it one day at a time, day by day. And they're just like, yeah. And then the conversation doesn't go anywhere there. But I was like, I mean, not that I want to go into it because I'm different. I'm just, I don't want to say I don't care. But for me personally, like, you don't need to know my business. But I'm not the type to just share. But like at work and they're just like, you're passing. But hey, how are you doing today? Or how are you doing? I'm just like, yep, I'm okay. I'm just taking it day by day. Like, that's just me. I'm not going to go into it. Details of, oh, are you sure? Are you okay? Like, I have, I'll have some that I'll say, like, are you sure you're okay? I'm like, yeah. Because I just don't feel like <laughs> spilling the, the tea. <laughs> but then, so if we were coworkers and you're like, hey, I'm taking it day by day. I said, okay. Well, mm -hmm. if you ever need anything, you mm -hmm. know where to find me, right? Yeah. She, she doesn't need to share right there. We might be in a public place where she's mm -hmm. like, hey. But I now have connected. I'm looking at you in the eyes and have said, hey, if you need anything, you know where I am, okay? Mm -hmm. I've opened that door. And maybe mm -hmm. one day 
she's going to say, hold on a minute. I, ne- I like, I need some safety. I need mm-hmm. some security. I need to let someone know something. And I might be that person. Mm-hmm. Meredith. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. You're the one that taught me about that because I remember us having this conversation at one point when I'm like, I just tell people, yeah, I'm okay. Or it's conditioning. And then you would keep asking. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, you'd be like, Hey, are you okay? Or, hey, how's it going? Mike it has been a while since we talked. Yeah, I'm okay. How about you? And you'd be like, are you sure you're okay? And then like, you would push a little bit and I'd be like, actually, I'm not okay. Yeah. And we would talk and like now, if you notice, now you'll ask me, hey, Micah, how you doing? I'm like, everything's shit. My world's on fire. <laughs> and I have I have fucking 30 tabs open. Two of them are, you know what I mean? Two of my tabs are frozen. One of them's playing music. I don't know where it's coming from. You know, every fucking filing cabinet in my brain is on fire. This is what's yeah. happening. And you're like, okay. <laughs> this, but that's like, that was the connection. Where you like, we kept working on that, and we have this connection now. Where when either of us are not okay, we know that we're each other's person. It would just say like, it really sucks right now. I can't like, I can't tell you. I mean, there was I don't know how long you texted me every day mm-hmm. to just say hey because you knew me knowing that you were there, I was being seen. Yeah. And that was going to be meaningful to me. Yeah. I I mean, you, you knew you didn't have the answers for me and I wasn't looking to you for the answers, but knowing that you were there and you made yourself present, that helped get me through. That was really what we want. We want to be seen. I might not have the answers to what you're going through, but Hey, can I sit here with you for a little bit and maybe make it a little bit easier to go through it? I can. I'm really a proponent of like, if you, if you ask me how I'm doing, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be authentic. I'm not going to put on, oh, it's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> it's not. I, I hate the whole living the dream. Oh, that, the yeah, dream. that, that always irritated me. That response, living the dream. Because you're definitely not living the dream. I want to be a millionaire. I'm not living my dream. Gosh. <laughs> there's a dude, uh, there's a dude at one of the, one of my jobs that every time I walk in, I'm like, Hey, how's it going? Living the dream. How about you? And I'm like, and it's the same, and he <laughs> says it the same way. Right. And he says it the same way every time living the dream. How about you? And I'm like, are you really though? Cause I'm not, this is, this is, if this is the fucking dream, bro, our dream sucks. This is, this is, this yes. is Freddy Krueger. All right. This is a fucking nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think, you know, we, we need to put out that energy to get back the authentic energy. You know, if we have a friend that we think things aren't going well, we need to look them in the eye and say, Hey, how you doing? We need to let them know that if they need us, we're going to be there. We're open to that authentic answer. I I have a friend. Uh, we were very close late high school into college. And then when I moved to Pennsylvania, we lost touch. And I happened to send her, we reconnected this summer. I sent her a funny meme about um, life. It's something about like life. You, you got to just get through and, and pass it. It's passing like a kidney stone, but you'll get through it. <laughs> and she's like, you didn't know I really needed this today. And I said, hey, what are you, like, what's, what are you doing? What's, what's going on? Oh, I don't want to be that person who just is so negative. Dumps. Or trauma dumps is really what people are saying, I think. And I'm like, no, I'm here. Like, if you need something, you know, feel free to let me know. 
Uh, we are so afraid to be that Debbie Downer to our friends. Mm -hmm. But you know we would all listen to our friends if they needed us. Mm -hmm. So we have to allow ourselves to be open and vulnerable to our friends. Oh, but that's the that's yeah, the I was say, I think, yeah, that's that that opens up a whole mm -hmm. new world when you say that because then you're just like, mm, then it could kind of use it against you or be like, don't talk to this person. This person got so much trauma going on. Like, okay, well, then why did you want to hear all of it? Or like, why did I have to explain it to you? And then here you are, and I'll just kind of going behind my back, just you know, talking shit or whatever. And it's like, but that just goes back to what Meredith said earlier, too, is that it's the fear of rejection. And I, well, you didn't say it, but part of it is the fear of rejection. We're afraid to not be understood by another person or. And there's also like a little bit of that unhealthy, like not unhealthy. What's the word I'm looking for? Little, you said it earlier, like the insecurity almost insecurity. of like you can't even have faith that a person genuinely wants to listen to you. Yeah. And that's coming from a deeper place there because more than likely you might have that somewhere, that little kid in you somewhere that's like no one's going to care or I'm not. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, you talk to him about it, you're probably just look at you like, damn, I wasn't expecting all that for you to like dump all that with me. And I'm just like, oh. Yeah, because I was doing <laughs> I'm I, not OK. I can't front. That was that's that has been my my train of thought in a lot of situations where someone's like, how are you doing? And I'm really like shit. And I'm like, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing OK. I'm fine. And in my mind, I'm like, OK, how are you? And then they'll they'll like trauma dump because I feel like that's very different, though, when people are like trauma dump on you. And then it's like I'll get all stressed out. And I'm like, I didn't even want to fucking know all this. I didn't even want to know all this because I'm not in a good place and you're putting me in a worse place because you got some shit going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, 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 and I think, I think that that kind of goes back to, like you said, though, like we're not connected as, as, as people. We, we don't know how to connect. I feel like social media has been a great thing, but a bad thing because it's like, we've, we, we can put out these snippets of our lives that we try to get the best looking version of our life, even if it's not true. And, if you were to right now, if I was to right now cry my eyes out on this episode and, talk, and, and, and be upset and post it, people would look at it and say, like, he's attention seeking or like, why is he doing all that on social media? Why is he being so vulnerable? That's like like we, we look at vulnerability as this private thing that you you shouldn't give to other people or that's too intimate to give to just anyone. You know, like on social media, like go get, go talk to a therapist, or you know, they're already they're quick to judge people and not really realizing they're trying to reach out for either help or like they're just saying how they feel at the moment. We've conditioned, I feel, this generation now, and even us that are like partaking in it, to only show the best, the highlight reels. But this goes right back to the very beginning of our conversation mm -hmm. that. Men aren't supposed to be emotional. So, mm -hmm. dude, like, get off the airways, go to yeah. your therapist. Because mm -hmm. I'm uncomfortable with seeing you emotional. And mm -hmm. so that needs to, instead of taking on a compassion feeling, it brings on, like, an anger feeling. Mm -hmm. Because I'm uncomfortable with it. And it really is my issue that I need to show more compassion. I need to be more in tune with my feelings. Maybe I'm angry because I wish I was more like you. Mm. But we're, I, I mean, it goes right back. Why? Why can't you show your emotion on social media? Why can't you share with your followers something that you're really going through? That's real. That's authentic. You're not created 
You're not the content creator that puts something out there just because it's trending. Mm -hmm. But this is real life. And I want to connect with people who are real like me. Mm -hmm. That's facts. I feel like you could have, I could have just, if I didn't want to break my microphone, I would have just like <laughs> dropped it right on there. Like, damn, that's it. You heard it from Meredith. Fuck everything. Else. That, I don't even got to say anything else. Goodbye. <laughs> So, I mean, that's that's what I have always been about is like, I'm a real person. I'm not factory made. I don't do everything the right way. I don't say everything the right way. Nothing in what we have done has been scripted. I mean, you might have questions, but I have nothing in front of me. It's not scripted. This is just me talking with you, you know, and, and sharing from the heart and the head on what we're going through. This is what you and your sister are going through right now. Of Like, how do we process this? How do we make sense of this for ourselves, but also helping others? Mm -hmm. It's real. Yeah. That's why that's like what I said on the last uh, podcast that we were doing is like, people for, often forget that last piece of grief too, is you trying to find purpose, meaning yeah. in the loss, you know, so that you can have some semblance of healing if the, if it could even ha be had, you know? Um, so I guess that would make me follow up with though. And yes, I do actually have some questions that I wrote down. Don't judge me, but we have been going off the, <laughs> off the, off the head. No, I'm saying to people out there. Yes. We don't script this stuff. We just had some questions. I wanted to have a little yeah. bit of a flow. Okay. Cause otherwise me and Meredith and stuff, we'll sit here for hours and just talk about random shit. And then y'all eventually will click off. Like this is boring or like y'all fucking. Okay. That's a lot of talking. Um, what tips uh, would you give to someone out there, though, that's struggling with their mental health? Um, I, I definitely tell a stranger how you feel. Let me stop. <laughs> you could. Moves, you totally could. If it moves you and you feel like I, I think there are times like I put out an energy where I want to know what you're thinking. You know how people. Oh, gosh, people always tell me things. Well, guess what? You're putting out the energy. That's inviting them to tell you things like Yo, you gotta... you just, that's triggered right there because I do be saying I'm like, why do because that happened to me the other day. I did not ask about this person's like personal life or anything. We were just having a random conversation and then was just like, I don't know. We're like, yeah, this person died and I don't know how I feel about it. And this is how they died. And it just started going. Th and I was like. I get to say what I'm like, I understand. And I was like, yeah. And then I was like, I was like. <laughs> okay, like, I think you should talk to someone about this, like a therapist. Um, you know, um, that's heavy. That's heavy yeah. stuff. I don't want to talk about this right now because I think that's a really personal issue that I don't really want to talk about right now. But, uh, you know, if you need some resources, I can definitely help you with that. And they were like, yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. And then they just kept talking about it. And I was like, what the fuck do I got to say to this person? <laughs> like, I know, <laughs> I care, but it was like, you know, I think that's another thing we got to be cognizant of, right, is that I am very much the type of person that I feel like you said, I do have that energy about me. And I'm very much open to people of like, hey, I care. I love you. I, you know, even I, I tell people all the time, I love you. You know, they're like, the fuck? Like, I don't know. You know, I'm like, I love everybody, man. I got I, I love everyone differently, but I got love for everybody because I yeah. think that that's just how we're I feel like we were created to love. We were created to to connect we were created to do those things that's how i feel so maybe that's what it is but like i was having a bad day and i really didn't fucking care in that moment but it was a lot because i'm like yo i'm dealing with my own trauma right now and you just like 
dumped a lot on me that I wasn't asking for. So maybe I got to like, should I, should I have a resting bitch face, Meredith? Like, how do I get them to not? <laughs> They're looking at me like, hey, and I'm like, why are you talking to me? <laughs> you, you, like, yeah, you've got to pull, you got to pull your energy back and just be, right. you know, like, just say the hellos, not how are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Okay? yeah. Hi. You really don't want to know? Don't ask. Is it a good morning? <laughs> yeah. 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 Cause I, I mean, but I think it's important. I know we're laughing and stuff and yeah. we're sounding kind of mean, but we're not meaning to be mean. I think it is important to discuss that as well, because a lot of times we do put our energy out into so many other people. You can't do it all the time. I can't do it all the time. There's my, I got my moments where I'm like, I cannot fucking hear another person's problem or another thing at this moment. You know what I mean? And, and I think it's it's important to honor that too and not feel guilty about not hearing every single problem that every single person has. Because we got our own problems too. We got to, you know, we got to deal with, we got to water our own garden too. Mm -hmm. Well, it's something that you're you're touching on and I've, I've thought about this. You're asking me as a mental health professional some of these for these tips for the average person. I've gone through training. So mm -hmm. it, it, what's coming to my mind is boundaries. Like when we're talking about mm -hmm. the energy, we need to have the boundaries for our energy. And I've been trained to listen to everyone's shit and deal with it appropriately. Like disconnect almost. Yeah, yes. And how to, how to make sense of it and how to establish those boundaries in the conversations. Uh, to, you know, protect myself, to protect the other person. Um, so it's a little hard, you know, some of these questions are hard for me because it's it's not me who is, would be doing like the, right. the little tips. Right. Uh, so you, you definitely, anyone needs to have healthy boundaries with someone else. If you're already having a bad day and this is going to take you down further and kind of dip into the energy that's already depleted in you, you need to, you did a great job <laughs> saying, hey, I really think that this would be a conversation for a therapist. I, you know, I, I can let you know a few, but right now this is not something that I can hear. Mm -hmm. And you're not shutting them down because you're, you're saying, Hey, I can help you be a resource. It goes back to a little bit of those parents that have difficulty hearing that their child is having problems or family members that are having difficulty, they don't have to be the answer. They don't have mm -hmm. to have the answers. If a child or a person was having a tooth problem, would you go to the parent and say, hey, pull my tooth? No. The parent would take the child to the dentist. Parent just needs to, or the person just needs to be a conduit to help. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, hey, do you think there's someone that you could talk to about that? I wonder, you know, you think your best friend or your significant other can talk to you right now. If not, let's, let's Google helpline. <laughs> let, yeah. let, let me give you that number and give you some space to call that helpline mm -hmm. and then send them on their way. I, you don't, yeah. you don't have to be the answer. It's important. I think though, that we did bring that up and that you kind of expanded on that more with boundaries, because I think as humans, like you said, you were trained on how to differentiate that the average person who wants to help someone or who has that. Um, Cause I do believe that there are people out there like this is, that's a gift sometimes, right? It could be a gift and a curse. You have it. I think I have it, you know, not that I'm trying to be egotistical, but of that, that helper mentality or that, mm -hmm. that, that heart that's like, okay, I want to, I want to be there for you and everything like that. Yeah. And I think most people want to do the right thing. Most people want to help. Most people want to do that but they get depleted 
then mm-hmm. they feel guilty. Mm-hmm. They feel guilty for not being able to be the answer, like you put it. And I think it's important to have that that distinguishing factor, like you said. You're trained to have that disconnect. Most of us don't know how, especially if you're an empathic person, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to have that disconnect. You start to to internalize people's problems and their feelings as your own problems and your own feelings. And I've had those moments where I felt like I was going to lose my damn mind. I'm like, how am I going to help this person? How am I going to, oh my God, how am I going to like help them? Or how can I say like, and sometimes that's an egotistical thing of like, how do I save this person from themselves? You know, cause you think you have all the answers. So there, there, there's a lot of layers to that, but it's important to have that distinguishing factor of like, we can't help everybody. We can't fix other people. Even therapists right. can't fix you. Right. But you know what? You can you can still help somebody by giving them a resource to someone else who may be able to better assist them because we can't do all of that and right. still be sane all the time. Right. And that's okay. That's okay. So here's a better question, I think. Since okay. we're not so since we won't ask for the 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 you kind of answer the other stuff. What recommendations could you give for self-love and self-care? I think that. And what recommendations would you, would you have any differentiating factors of self-love and self-care for men versus women? Because I think that, like, as you can see, we were talking about it before I got my nails did. Yeah. We both got it. Yeah, go ahead. Show your nails, girl. Go ahead, Meredith. Show them nails. Yeah, we both, we got our, everybody got our nails did here. Go ahead, Steph. Show, show them the nails. Y'all can't see. For those listening on the podcast, I got my nails did black. I got me a little manicure. Um, Stephanie got some some clip-ons or clip on. What the hell are they called? Clip-ons? What are they, press-ons? Press-ons, my bad. I call them clip-ons. I don't know. <laughs> um, and traditionally, although we are moving into a new wave of, of men who are like, yeah, I could go get a manicure and paint my nails or get, get a pedicure and, and, and do that. But this is, this is considered the air quotes new wave, right? Because traditionally, a lot of men would not go and get their nails done. You know how many times online I see guys who are like just sitting having a conversation and people can see their nails and the comments are going crazy with men who are like, you're gay, you're you're effeminate, you know, you're this, you're that, and just like tearing the person down because they wanted to get their fucking nails done like as if they're, it's their nails. But yeah, let them know, let them know. Women like that shit. Women do like it. I love it. I love when my man takes care of his manicure. He can do whatever he wants, whatever he feels is to better himself. And, it, you know, even if he feels like, oh, this looks good. I love when he gets a haircut because I know women do, too, because you can't have your man out there looking like a little bum. <laughs> it's just not happening. Not for me, at least. <laughs> but I love when he takes care of himself. I mean, you know, and they feel good about it, too. So they could just, you know, walk around. They look at self in the mirror like, oh, I look good today. Yes, you do, honey. You look great. We don't have many. Because there's such a divide in genders on what is considered feminine or masculine in regards to self-love or self-care, I think that we don't have many options of how to do that. I think that we've been taught as men that self-sacrifice is loving other people and loving ourselves, and we're only good for that thing. And so what are some things that you would say or you would tell one of your clients, you know, kids or somebody like – Hey, these are some things that you can do to take care of yourself and, and give yourself some love. Well, I, I could probably do a whole podcast series on this topic alone. Um, so this is an area that I have done a lot of soul searching on, reading about all kinds of stuff. And really, I think what it comes down to is what do you need mm. tap into that because I can tell you take bubble baths. I can tell you to take walks. I can tell you to meditate. 
But if that doesn't speak to what you need, it's nice, but it's not getting you anywhere. Mm. So you really need to think about what is it right now? Do I need to fill my soul with laughter, with positivity? Then go towards that, being entertained. If I need to help my body feel better, do I need to rest? Do I need to do some of that self-care in the physical sense of, you know, having, you know, my hair done, you know, doing my nails, cardio, um, anything like that. But is it also like I restrict myself from eating the foods I want to eat and man, going and getting wings and a beer mm -hmm. on a Friday night would be heaven sent. <laughs> Meredith did that <laughs> sigh like, damn, I need a beer and some wings. <laughs> These damn kids. <laughs> You I'm all for it. Wings are my favorite. So, <laughs> See, I, so if that if that's what works for you, if it's sitting and doing absolutely nothing without the guilt, do it. Yep, do it. Uh, so that that's those are the tips. Is like you really need to look at yourself and what do you need and speak to that because I can give you prescription for something, and it may do nothing. That's it. Y'all heard it from Meredith. Take care of yourself. Give yourself what you need. I know. Thank you so much for your time, Meredith. I appreciate you coming on and talking with us. Um, I don't want to take too much more of your time because I know it's a night. It's a dreary Sunday afternoon out there. And I know you're wanting to be with the kiddos and, and, and hubby and everything. Is there any other questions you have, Steph, before we log off? I think she answered all the, our questions that we had listed. And I'm so glad that I got to sit down with both of you. Stephanie, I'm getting to know you now, which is wonderful. <laughs> uh, Mike, I love anything that I do with you. Yes. I, I think, you know, just to kind of sum up, like, Micah, we started out just as, as podcasting folks. Yeah. And then now we, friends. we got into some business partnerships. Yeah. And now it was like, okay, together. now we're no. friends. <laughs> oh, yeah. We got a wrestling together. We got a wrestling together. Don't even realize it. Hey. Yeah. And we, like, we, we have allowed ourselves to connect in that way. And, and I'll just be honest with everyone. Mike and I realized that I'm old enough to be his mom. <laughs> and I don't look it. But I not am. at all. You don't look a day over 35. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but that's where we allowed ourselves to connect and to get to a level where we can support each other on that in on that level. Yeah. Um, so like connections are out there if you're open to them. Absolutely. And don't don't let uh don't let the let a woman who's almost the age of your mother make you feel like you can't be friends. <laughs> You can still be friends. Us old ladies have a lot to offer. Can She's, we be friends? I like how Meredith said us old ladies have a lot to offer. I can't. No, you did it. You better stop. You're not even old. A lot of knowledge. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Meredith. Go enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Uh, you guys check Meredith's uh, podcast out over on Finding Myself Podcast, wherever you stream your podcast, whether that's here on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, yeah, go check her out. Follow her on Instagram. Do you yeah. still have your website? The website is still up. Yeah, check, for right now. Check out her website, MeredithSiget.com, right? And go um, book her for uh, public speaking events and coaching sessions. 
Yes. Great. Cool. Thanks. You're welcome. Bye. 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 <laughs>